those that may be listening for the first time, our podcast is an offshoot from our main platform, YouTube. Our channel is called Coffee and Bible Time, where our goal is to help people delight in God's word and thrive in Christian living. We also have a website and storefront with Bible studies, prayer journals, courses, and more. And I'm so excited to tell you about our brand new in-depth Bible study academy. Have you always wished that you knew how to study your Bible in-depthly for yourself, but you just don't have time to go to Bible college? Well, join us this year as we adventure through 12 different courses designed to give you the background and the tools to study the Bible for yourselves. You can find out more information about the Academy on our website at coffeeandbibletime.com. I'm Mentor Mama, and today we are going to be talking about productivity in the perspective of God's timing. You know, time management today is such a hot topic. We are all so busy trying to fit everything that we can into our day that time management has actually become this really, really big industry. There's countless books and podcasts and all kinds of resources that tell us how we can get more done in less time, which can sometimes cause us even more anxiety. So, but what would it look like if we viewed the idea of efficiency through God's perspective? Would we get the same answers to the dilemma of managing a fast-paced life with this mile-long to-do list? Well, our guest today, Jen Pollock-Michelle, author of the book, In Good Time, Eight Habits for Reimagining Productivity, Resisting Hurry, and Practicing Peace, is here today to talk about how our primary call as Christians is not to practice habits of productivity, but to practice habits of fruitfulness that lead us into faithfulness to God and others. But first, a word from our sponsor. You already know that we at Coffee and Bible Times strive to help people delight in God's Word. That's why we love Alabaster and their inspiring Bibles. In addition to the visually appealing design, these Bibles are an engaging way to delve deep into God's Word. You can purchase books of the Bible individually or in bundles. Either way, your faith is sure to flourish. Alabaster Company has perfectly designed an intersection of creativity, beauty, and faith in each and every book. Use our promo code CBT promo or find our link below to get 10% off your order and let's experience God's beauty together. Jen Pollock Michelle is the author of Teach Us to Want, winner of Christianity Today's 2015 Book of the Year, and also Keeping Place, Surprised by Paradox, winner of Christianity Today's 2020 Award of Merit for Beautiful Orthodoxy, and A Habit Called Faith. She holds a BA in French from Wheaton College and an MA in Literature from Northwestern University, and she is also a student in Seattle Pacific's MFA program. Jen is a wife and mother of 
five and hosts the Englewood Review of Books podcast. Please welcome Jen. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Oh, it's so awesome to have you here, Jen, because I know this topic of time management is just something that I want to say plagues us all, but we're all trying to figure it out, mm, right? Yeah, we are. So absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. I want to talk about your book, In Good Time, and tell us a little bit about this message that you want to convey and why you chose to write on this topic. Well, time management has definitely been kind of the genre of book that I've been reading for 30 years. And I really was that person, actually someone put it like, like this, that you indulge the fantasy that time can be controlled. That's sort of what drives us to read time management books. I'm like, yeah, that fantasy has sort of been something that I've lived in for about 30 years, you know, just kind of always thinking that if I just had more tips, more tricks, more techniques, I could fit more and more in. And I think as a Christian, there was even this idea that to fit more in would actually be to a greater kingdom good, that to just be productive, as long as you were doing it for the kingdom, that was a really great thing. And I've always been kind of a high energy, high capacity sort of person. Um, and just, it just kind of made a lot of sense to me and time management, like type A, yes, please <laughs> tell me how to organize my list and master and control them, control time itself, I guess. And all of that fell apart in the pandemic. Um, as anyone, you know, I think can pretty much attest to that time for all yeah. of us was just completely disrupted. And that was really the season of my life where I realized I just think I live with disordered ideas about time and I have bad habits of living in time, um, bad categories, or I just, I would say insufficient categories. And what does the Bible really have to say? And what does God have to teach me? And so it just began a new season of learning for me. And I just certainly wouldn't pretend that now I've got it all figured out, but I definitely have a greater sense that productivity is a very limited category for even thinking about our time. And, and just as like you mentioned in your introduction, fruitfulness is just this image and picture of the flourishing human life. And what do we have to learn from that image? And so that's where some of the learning really started. Yeah. Uh, it's, it really is fascinating. It's kind of like you're turning the whole idea upside down like Jesus did so many yeah. times in his parable. <laughs> um, I loved one thing that you said in your um, first chapter of the book. It said, busyness is pushed upon all of us as expectation and as duty. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Um, I, I sense that if after 30 years of reading these kinds of books, you kind of felt that, mm-hmm. right? I think it was almost the measure of the good life. You know, my life is good and meaningful insofar as my calendar is full. And it's almost like busyness kind of even becomes your self-defense, like even to yourself, not just to others, but certainly to others too. Like I, I'm too busy to do X, you know, I'm, I'm already involved in so many good things. Look at my calendar. Isn't that proof of my virtue? 
But I don't think it's always honestly just about other people. I think sometimes we keep our own calendars full and in so doing, we never grapple with maybe the deeper questions that drive us to that kind of frenetic energy. I mean, that's really how I quantified it in the pandemic. When the world shut down and when my calendar cleared, I went to actually manufacturing busyness. I was that person who read all the articles about what I could be doing inside of my house to stay productive. And it really, I mean, I don't think pathological is probably even too strong of a word. Like it was almost like a neurosis. Um, and I, I don't have any, you know, diagnosed conditions or anything, but there was a real anxiety about not being busy. And I think that was sort of the anxiety that clued me into something is really amiss. Because I think before the pandemic, I would have said the problem is busyness. While I keep choosing busyness and I find a great consolation in busyness, there was a part of me, of course, and a part of all of us, like we would rather be less busy, maybe. We think we could enjoy our lives more if we were less busy. But then when I was less busy, I was like, I don't recognize myself. I don't recognize my life. I better just find some new plans and projects to do within my house because that will make me feel better. Learn what theology is and how to study God within the Bible in course number seven of our in-depth Bible study academy. In this academically built course, you will learn the tools to study God's character and nature within a Bible passage and how to grow closer to God relationally through Bible study. This course titled Theology, Knowing God Through In-Depth Bible Study is packed with teaching lessons, homework, quizzes, and a resource list for personal study. Head to our website, coffeeandbibletime.com, to learn more about the Academy and course number seven today. Use promo code CBT Podcast, that's CBT Podcast, to get 50% off this course right now at coffeeandbibletime.com. Yes, I can completely 100% relate. <laughs> That's exactly that's exactly how I felt too during that time. Well, you described time anxiety as one of humanity's most chronic pains. So tell us more about what time anxiety is and for those of us who experience it, how we can find comfort and peace. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I think a lot of us kind of live with the idea that maybe time anxiety is new um, because we live in a world that just keeps speeding up and up and up and up. And so we think, well, maybe like time anxiety is like a 21st century or 20th century problem. But when you go back to the Bible, you actually see time anxiety in the Bible. You know, you see it in Psalm 90 where the days are just so short, Moses says in that psalm, and we they're just gone like a shadow, like a sigh, like God could wipe away a thousand years like like the just as with a flood. And so 
I think that is probably the fundamental source of all time anxiety is this idea that we know we live very short lives. And that's just all throughout the Bible, that our lives are compared to shadows, to size, to blades of grass that flourish in the morning and wither in the afternoon. But I don't think we all experience time anxiety with this like dread of our own mortality. I don't think that's how it presents to us. Like, I don't think a lot of us walk around thinking, oh my gosh, today might be my last. And I think actually the monks and, you know, Moses himself would say, there's a lot of wisdom in knowing your own mortality, your limited lifespan. So I don't think that's how we experience it every day, but I do think like the dread of our own kind of brief lives is represented in the anxiety to get it all done, you know, to make as much meaning as we can out of the everyday. I think that's what we're all really doing. Like when we crowd our calendars, some of it is work. You know, some of us really want to eke out a meaningful life by producing material things that like future generations will say, wow, you know, that life was that life left a legacy of, you know, maybe it's, I don't know, whatever field we might be in. It could also just be that we want to meaningful life by all the fun that we have, you know, by the meaningful relationships and experiences and all the things we cross off of our bucket list. And so I think that's kind of where it all sort of reduces to is that our lives are really um, not in our control. Time is not in our control. And so I think there are other forms of time anxiety too, as related to control. Sometimes it's related to the past. We can't change the past. We don't have control over just rewriting chapters of trauma, loss, grief, sin, disappointment, you know, missed opportunities. And we don't have control over the future either. I can't guarantee how tomorrow will turn out for me. And so when we see all of that, you know, anxiety over the brevity of life, anxiety over the past we can't change, the future we can't control, I mean, I think the only antidote to time anxiety is time faith, is to enter into a a deeper faith and understanding of the God who lives outside of time who is not bound by time, you know, who's never limited by what happened yesterday and never afraid of what can happen tomorrow. Um, The God who is and was and is to come. And I think when we kind of put our lot with God's, you know, which really is what faith is about. It's like, Lord, I don't have any control really over my life, but I'm putting my life into your hands. And I think it's safe there. And I think that's where time anxiety starts to recede is just with time faith. God, I can't control today, tomorrow, can't change the past, but somehow you're working all things out together for good. I mean, that's a time promise, really. And that's what Moses invites us into in Psalm 90. I think that's what Jesus invites us into in the Sermon on the Mount. You don't be anxious about your life. Um Remember, your father knows everything that you need before you even ask, you know, trust him, know that he's providing for you. And I think those are invitations for all of us who do feel time anxious. Hmm. Those are such great points. And it seems like 
this time anxiety sort of manifests itself in a number of different ways, as you kind of described. And I was thinking of two others that came to my mind. Um, One is um, one of my daughters was always fearful of being on time. Mm. Like she, she would like be ready you know, 15 minutes before it was even time to go and kept asking, should we go? Should we go? So there, that was one. And then one of the other ones that I think you touched on earlier on is just that sort of fear of not knowing what to do with empty time. Yeah. Like you described during the pandemic. (laughs) Like for me, it was just, yeah, yeah, I have a hard time not doing anything. Um, and and I think a lot of it, like you said, gets back to faith and trust. So mm. it's kind of probably really good to think about these, you know, different uh, types of anxieties that you might be feeling, and then and then, like you said, <laughs> you've got to go back to to the Lord. Well, mm. um, you described yourself as this avid reader of productivity and time management books. What did you discover? Like, was there a common thread between those books? And how is your message in in good time different? Mm-hmm. I wish I could say that I noticed this first, but what I really did was read a book who kind of challenged a lot of the assumptions about time management. And that started to shift my my lens or my understanding. And that book was called Counterproductive by Melissa Gregg. And it's, it's an academic book. It's not a Christian book. But it, what that book helped me to start to see, first of all, was the individualism of time management. I mean, generally, when you pick up a time management book, the idea is that you and you alone must perform these heroic measures to conquer time, you know, to get more done in less time. And often that is really only possible insofar as you can kind of reduce all your contingencies in life. Like you got to turn off your notifications and you got to, you know, bar the door and, you know, don't honestly let yourself be subject to another person's needs. Um, and I just thought, oh goodness, this is, this is like antithetical actually to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I mean, we can even just think about the story of the good Samaritan. Like if the good Samaritan had been a good time manager, he would have hurried past the injured person, like the first, like the priest and the Levite. Um, Time is not always the most important thing. Often interruption is the very opportunity that we're called to step into. And so when we start to see our connectedness to our neighbor, the ways that we actually owe certain obligations to our neighbor, well, then now you're like, you're really starting to have to challenge some of the assumptions of time management. Um, like time management always does. It, it always sort of left me truthfully as a woman, as a mother, as a wife, a little bit kind of resentful of like all these external demands on my time. Like, oh, think of how much I could get done if only I didn't have to drive my children to school or, you know, shop for soccer cleats or, you know, X, you know, fill in the fill in the blank. And it leaves you with a sense that those are evils, not goods. Like that those obligations, those obligations actually in my life are like at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. And so 
I think that to move more joyfully into the world for the love of God and love of neighbor, like I actually have to sort of re I have to reframe my mindset around interruption and need. Um, and even my own heroism, truthfully. So there's that. There's the individualism of time management, but there's also the heroism of time management that like it never really grants that we aren't always like our best selves living our best life. You know, time management doesn't address things like grief, for example. I've I've lived a couple of very long, dark seasons of grief. I lost my dad when I was young. I lost my brother when I was in my 20s. And, you know, I can remember, for example, coming home from work every day. I was a teacher at a um, high school on Chicago's North Shore. And my brother had just died. And like every day I came home with a headache for like eight months. And I literally just had to stick myself into bed with a cold washcloth over my eyes. So time management never says like, oh, by the way, you get a pass on productivity because you just suffered a terrific loss. It just mm -hmm. sort of assumes that you'll just keep going, keep producing, or it doesn't give you the permission to like not run on all cylinders because maybe you're facing a health challenge, a mental health crisis. And the Christian life, I feel like God never asks us to live a superhuman life. And so often when productivity is your greatest good, like kind of your highest achievement, you have to run your body like it's a machine. And I just think that there's something that God, else that God calls us into. We can be fully human, which means that our bodies don't run like machines. We have dark seasons. We have health crises. We have um, times where we're just moving more slowly through the world. And sometimes people, by virtue of um, conditions that they're born with, always move at a different pace. Um, and that's beautiful. God doesn't say we all have to were like, you know, a Maserati. Um, not a, everybody's built with that engine. And, and I think Maseratis are prized when productivity is the frame. But when you kind of look to see that God says you get to live a human life, even Jesus himself fell asleep, right? Um, we know. So that means... There must be other goods that God has for us, other ways that faithfulness could be quantified. Maybe it's not even quantified. Maybe it's just qualified. Maybe it's just sort of understood. Maybe it's not even a measure that we could do mathematically, this idea of faithfulness. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That, that whole concept of just productivity and your way of kind of turning it upside down, it really, I think, is such an important message for someone who, and I'm, and I'm thinking of myself here when <laughs> I too. say that, you know, you're, sometimes our value, our worth can be caught up in this productivity. Like I, I have to like, you know, get all these things done and, and feeling bad if you're not doing something. And it's almost like it becomes an idol, yes. you know, where you, you're just so focused on that, that you just lose sight. So mm. I think it's really neat how you're approaching this topic. And you have um, in your book, Eight Habits, 
for sort of reimagining this productivity. Mm -hmm. So the first is actually quite simple, right? Begin. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Talk to us about the importance of beginning. Beginning is really speaking into time anxiety about the past. So I think... I actually, it's speaking into two things. One is speaking into people who feel like maybe just their story is just, you know, certain things, a future has foreclosed on them because of mistakes, regrets, missed opportunities. And this book is, this particular chapter is like, look up, look up at the God who begins, who begins new things every day, who meets us with new mercies. Whatever yesterday was about, whatever last year was about, you know, whatever even trauma is in your past or just complete failure that you think, oh, that that just can't be redeemed. I really want to say to people, look up to the God who begins and trust in his um, great work. So it's also a countering of the heroism of time management books. Um, you know, I talk about how often people, well, one of the, one kind of cult classic written in the seventies. He's this particular book said, you know, you've got three choices in time. You can drift, you can drown, just be aimless, or you can decide. And so that kind of uh, this, this sort of seizing of our own agency. And I think we like that a lot, you know, and you could approach the habit of beginning with that kind of notion, like I'm going to decide my life. And I just want to say, we don't always decide, you know, we got into a global crisis in 2020 and nobody was deciding. And that's part of faith. You know, I don't decide always. Sometimes I begin and I don't finish or I don't sustain. Sometimes I don't even have faith to begin, but God is such a perfect beginner. And I think redemption itself, the whole gospel really is about the arc of the story is, you know, we messed it up and God began again. You know, God never gave up on the story. He began again through Christ. And so that's where I want people to start. I want them to start with that vision of hope, I think. Yeah, it really is so essential because like you said, so many people might be coming to this and they're feeling defeated already yes. or they can't imagine, you know, trying to start something new. So mm. look up and trust. I think uh, those are, are really great tips. Well, what is your response to people who are looking desperately for more time? Mm. Yeah. Well, I have two responses. I I like to say it this way. I said, you know, sometimes busy chooses us and sometimes we choose busy. And I think it, your, my answer depends on, you know, which actually shoe fits, I guess, you know, if busy is choosing you, I do think there are seasons of life where busy chooses us like, and it just, we're just piled under, you know, I have five kids. My last two came when my oldest was six twins. So I had five kids, six and younger, like that was a season where busy was choosing me. And I think when busy chooses you, you have to know that God is there. (laughs) You have to know you're going to like weather the storm. Um, You have to be gentle with yourself 
and you have to find support and help. Um, and you know, busyness doesn't have to look like five kids. You know, it could look like you're finishing your medical residency or who knows you're caring for an aging parent, all, all kinds of different ways that busy can choose us. You're working three jobs, you know, just to pay the, the mortgage. Um, so God is in those busy seasons. And I think we can idealize sometimes the spiritual life. Like I'm not doing it right. If I don't get, you know, an hour with my head bowed over my Bible, starting at 5am. Sometimes the most holy thing you can do in a busy season is just like, make sure you're getting proper sleep. Um, but to the person for um, where it's more accurate to say they're choosing busy, I think we have to really say, do we not have time because busy is choosing us or do we not have time because we choose busy? We choose distraction. We choose consumerism. We choose, you know, I don't know, habits of idleness. Um, there are all kinds of ways that we could choose busyness or even idleness. And I think that that calls for repentance as is everything and the spiritual life does knowing that God actually is always inviting us into his more abundant life. And that I think, I think busyness can look like abundance, but actually sometimes it's actually not like good abundance. It's just clutter. And mm -hmm. I'd like to, I think that that's really the movement that God's deepening in me is to get more and more clear on what is clutter and just to be ruthless about eliminating it. So, you know, we don't have time to waste. That's kind of what mortality is all about. Um, but, and, and that's why we have to I think be ruthless about distraction. Um, and that doesn't mean you can never watch a movie, you know, or you can, I think there are life giving forms of rest and leisure and play and Sabbath. And I think we're invited into all of that. So it's not just a return to the productivity model, but it is to say, if every gift is, if every hour and minute is given to us as a gift, um, then how do we receive it with joy and gladness and offer it back to God and worship? Um, and I think those are important questions in a really distracted age. Yeah, they sure are. It's so important. One of the things that comes to my mind is you will often encounter a lot of really good things. Yeah. But I think sometimes it's wiser to, you know, narrow it down focus, like maybe next time I can take that on, but not right now. Mm. I'm, I want to do what I'm doing. Like you said, uncluttered. I want to do what I'm doing now well. Yes. And if I stay uncluttered, I feel like I'll have a better opportunity for that to mm -hmm. happen. And but it is sometimes it is really hard saying no to those also good things. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's I mean, that's pretty much my like perennial problem. And I think, you know, a lot of it just is this important kind of like examine kind of confessional work that we do in the presence of God. Like what does drive me to say yes to things um, unwisely? And I would just say for me personally, a lot of that is about seeking other people's approval. 
Um, just, you know, wanting them to think well of me, not wanting to disappoint people, wanting people maybe even to admire how much I can do so capably, you know, juggle all my plates or balls in the air. Um, and that is, those aren't good motivations. And so learning how to live a life of discernment. I mean, I think this is probably, what we'll be learning for the rest of our lives is how do we get clearer and clearer on hearing God's voice and Mm -hmm. obeying his voice and sort of letting all the other voices of the crowd sort of like just recede into the background. Exactly. Yeah. The fear of God over the fear Mm -hmm. of man and letting that go, I think um, can be so important. Well, in the book, so we talked about the first habit. Let's talk about the seventh one mm-hmm. as well. It is enjoy. Mm-hmm. So where do you see this habit in the Bible and why is it important for us today? Mm-hmm. I really think that joy is at the heart of the gospel. Um, I think about when Jesus is saying his final goodbyes to his disciples on the night that he's betrayed. Um, And we have this in the gospel of John. He says, you know, basically follow me into the fullness of my joy. And that is really what Jesus is always calling us into is into joy. And I don't think it's always just joy in the afterlife, like joy in eternity. Like right now we should grin and bear it. Um, And then later, you know, after we die and rise to be with Christ, then that that will be the season of joy. I think there are a lot of um, moments of joy that we can experience even here today, even in the midst of suffering, um, we can experience joy. We can consider it. We can endure those seasons for the joy that's set up, set before us, even as Jesus himself did. So I think it is like this productivity doesn't ever give us permission to kind of take our foot off the gas, um, where every moment has to count for work truthfully. And so I see rest as very much a practice of joy. Um, I think that kind of, I think that as soon as we sort of get honest about time anxiety, lean into time faith, I think on the other side of that is joy. Wait, I don't have to be in control of everything. You know, God's going to, God's kind of working all things out together for good. And the really cool thing about joy, and this is just research that has been done, not by Christians necessarily, but people have really been able to say that it's your most joyful moments when you actually lose consciousness of time, where time slows and expands. And so even to your question of like, how do I get more time? Well, a really weird answer is get more joy. Because when you are experiencing joy, And we could all think about the ways that God gives us to experience joy in his company, in the company of his people, in nature, with music, um, friendships, marriage. I mean, all these kinds of relationships and experiences that we can have even with God's creation um, that can bring us joy and actually help us to sort of at least take us for a moment out of the pressures that we constantly feel on us about making time count. Time doesn't have to count in joy. It actually like you just even forget about time and doing that is just so like 
healthy for our souls. And that's actually truthfully, honestly, even something that started to happen, happened to me in the pandemic was just keeping a journal, noting more regularly the kinds of things that brought me joy. And one thing that was so obvious to me as I did that was how much joy I took in the company of God's people. And productivity was always that thing that like over my shoulder, like you got to get more done. And so I was always saying no to things, you know, I know I can't have coffee with you. No, I can't take a walk with you in the middle of the week. I've got an assignment. I've got a deadline. Those things remain, those things are still true. What's different for me now is like, I could just choose it more often. I'd kind of choose my own joy. I think that's more available to us than we often believe. Yes, absolutely. The joy is one of the fruits of the spirit, yeah. as we all know. And I feel like the older I've gotten, the more I appreciate that mm. and really try to lean into that. And one thing that I was thinking of is just sometimes helping others. Like if you can just, you know, get your head into Jesus and imagine him helping others. And I know for me, when I've done that in the past, that brings me such joy. Mm. And mm -hmm. I just think that that's what Jesus would want. Like I can set aside that because I need to be the hands and feet of Jesus right now mm. for people and their needs. And I think sometimes we tend to maybe push aside or because we're just on this agenda yes. <laughs> to get so many things done. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Well, productivity, efficiency, and time management get a lot of things right, but they fail to recognize our humanness. And I know you talked about uh, earlier grief, illness. How should Christians view productivity um, from your perspective, having gone through a number of different things just in light of life's trials? Mm -hmm. Is there anything else? Yeah. Well, I, interesting. I had a conversation. I was leading a workshop on the topic and, you know, one guy raised his hand in the back and says, well, you know, well, can't we just say productivity is good, is a good so long as it's directed towards the good, uh, towards good things. And I was like, I just, no, I don't think so. Because I think productivity, the problem with productivity is it equalizes every moment next to a, another, you know? So an hour is valuable insofar as you can like produce something with it. You have like an output, you can quantify what you did with that hour. And so it is a relentless kind of demand on, on us and on the human body. Fruitfulness by contrast, there is a productivity we could say involved in fruitfulness, producing fruit, producing the flower, um, whatever it is that's growing on the vine or the tree or the bush. Um, but there's a seasonality to fruitfulness. I did a little bit of research on like vines and vineyards and interestingly enough, and I would not claim to be an expert by any stretch, but from what I remember is, for example, when you first plant a vine, you don't let it produce grapes for the first three years because the, what you're, you're always cutting it back because you want its roots to deepen. And that also happens in wintering in all kinds of plants is that when they're not producing external fruit, um, they might be conserving their resources to then 
put them towards the root system. And I think we can all know, we all pretty much know that without a root system, you don't survive adverse conditions. Like a tree that's top heavy and doesn't have a root system, like the tiniest little like gust of wind is going to come by and knock it over. So if we want to be the kind of people that survive adverse conditions, we're actually going to need winters, wintering seasons. We're going to actually need seasons where it doesn't look like we're producing any fruit. Like an example, a very obvious example would be just a preparational season for a vocation. You know, um, you, if, if all you wanted, for example, were, you know, just measurable, output for ministry, you know, then nobody would go to seminary, you know, seminary, but Mm -hmm. these three years of kind of like underground work, that's just an example. There's all kinds of things we do in our lives that are about the underground root system. And if you're only consider only, if you only care about what's on the branch and you demand that it's on the branch at every season of life, then I think you're going to get into trouble. And I think you're not going to welcome the season of wintering. And that could look like grief. That could sometimes just look like wilderness. I think there are wilderness seasons of the Christian life where for no reason that we really understand, it just doesn't, we sort of feel dry spiritually. We don't feel that we're maybe doing anything meaningful. We can't see any reward to our action. And I think we just have to trust and believe, okay, maybe this is a wintering season and I can embrace that a faith can deepen in Christ by just trusting his promises. You know, maybe I don't have visible sort of outcomes to my prayers, but I can trust his promises. I can go deeper into who he is, what he said, what he said he will accomplish. Um, so that's the challenge, I think, is I think fruitfulness is a, is far more generous. I think it's far more hospitable to seasonality. And we really need that because anybody who lives a human life knows that's pretty much the way it goes. It's not summer or spring all year round in the human life. And so it's better to have categories that can kind of map on to our experience and then give us I want to say permission or at least patience for seasons where we're waiting out, maybe some dryness, um, some cold, some gusty winds. Um, Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's really good advice (laughs) that we need to, to weather, weather that period out. Mm. I know in one of my, my classes, I remember learning that the, if you look at a huge tree and you know, you're, overwhelmed with how big it is on the top, it has that same equal number of roots underneath. Mm. So that's something that is just really sort of grounding the the plant, Mm -hmm. but something that we can think about as well when we're going through those trials and just knowing that God will use this season. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, How? Sometimes we don't know, but um, we can trust him. Mm -hmm. Well, for anyone that would like to purchase a copy of your book, tell us where they can go and how can they find out more information about you? Yes. 
Well, you can go to um, Baker Bookhouse, I think, is a great place to order either um, In Good Time or Have It Called Faith. And then also ivpress.com um, has my first three books. And really, honestly, anywhere books are sold. And if anybody wants to follow my work more regularly, I write a Monday letter to subscribers and they can find that on my website. And I'm actually also offering what I'm calling rule of life intensive workshops to kind of just help people formulate kind of a practical set of commitments and values to living their lives um, faithfully in the particular season that they're in. So it's just a half day intensive and I've got three dates and people can find that on my website as well. Ooh, I love that idea. That's really putting it into action. Absolutely. Right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wonderful. Well, before we go, I want to ask you some of our favorite Bible study tool questions. Mm -hmm. What Bible is your go-to Bible and what translation is it? Mm -hmm. I would answer this a little bit differently normally. I'm going to just do my normal answer. I'm sort of doing something a little bit different now. But normally, my Bible reading is from the New Living Translation, the one-year Bible reading plan. It's just like the one-year Bible. And I don't study from the New Living Translation, but I do like to read it. Um, I think reading is a different kind of form of absorbing the Bible than meditating, memorizing, or studying. But as far as for reading, I really do like that. I often in the Old Testament, as we're going through, especially the Pentateuch, I'll like pick out Robert Alter's translation of the Old Testament. Um, I really like how he maintains a lot of the biblical poetry and the repetition. Mm -hmm. um, so that is generally what I'm doing around this time of year because we're in the Pentateuch. But for some reason, I off-ramped and I decided to just meditate on the Gospels. And I'm only through like, gospel. I don't know, I think I'm in Matthew chapter six in my ESV. So that's what I'm doing now. Oh, excellent. Okay. Yeah, I love the NLT as well for just reading. Mm -hmm. and, oh, it's fabulous. Okay. Do you have any favorite journaling supplies or anything that you like to use to enhance your Bible study experience? Mm -hmm. I am super boring. I have a three ring binder. And I think this is just like with just plain old index paper. I write a lot. I would just say that I write a lot and I've never found that a little journal allows me to, to write as much as I want. Um, so that's what I do. I have it divided into monthly, like I have monthly tabs. And so I'm mm. able to more easily go back and see, okay, what did I read in January? What was God teaching me? That's a new thing actually for me this year is the monthly tabs, because I really have wanted to make it a practice to revisit um, mm. the notes and just the, you know, I'm journaling as well, um, most every morning. So yeah, it's so boring and it means that I have a lot of paper, which I've sometimes scanned. And now I think I'm just going to, I'm not going to scan them. I'm going to just fill up some shelves with a whole bunch of binders <laughs> and let my children <laughs> deal with it <laughs> later. Oh, oh, it is. I know those journals are, though, are amazing to look back yeah. at and see God's faithfulness and, how different circumstances played out in his mm -hmm. providence. Lastly, what is your favorite app or website for Bible study tools? Mm -hmm. I usually go to Blue Letter Bible. Um, 
I find that it allows me, especially like when I just want to look up like a word, see it, you know, see the references and binds or strong, you know, cross references and that kind of stuff. So that tends to be the first place I go. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Mm. We were just in our small group last night and I was, we were all like wondering about this one word and I was like, let me look it up. Yeah. It's so great. <laughs> pull it up on your phone and you've already back to the original language and can see the meaning. So yeah, that is a great, mm-hmm. great website. Okay. Well, Jen, thank you so much for being here today to share some new habits that we can implement to sort of combat this relentless pursuit of time management and productivity. So viewing this topic, um, like you said, through God's perspective is so helpful. Mm. So we appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Ellen. It was great chatting with you. And for our listeners, pick up a copy of Jen's book, In Good Time, where you can learn more on this topic. We will have links to everything that we talked about here in our show notes. Lastly, head over to the Coffee and Bible Time website for our prayer journals. That will help guide and document your prayer life at coffeeandbibletime.com. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We love you all. Have a blessed day.